Thank you for tuning into the Hope When There Was None podcast. And here we share stories to educate you, to empower you and inspire. So thank you for listening and tuning in. Please do me a favor and share if you have a favorite episode, or maybe you think somebody else that needs a dose of positivity and to maybe break open some of the darkness, let there be light. So thank you again for all of your support and encouragement. I hope you enjoy this episode. Yay, we're live. Hi, it's Melinda from Hope When There Was None. I always get excited when it goes live. It's like, yay. (laughs) I'm Melinda from Hope When There Was None. I am joined by this beautiful songbird that's going to share her story, give us some wisdom and insight into her life. And I met her virtually when I was on my hula hoop journey, just starting out this past Mm -hmm. July. I found her on YouTube, was just blown away by how she has been doing her hula hoop journey as well. And, um, you know, I'm going to let you take it away because she has a phenomenal voice. She has so many talents and she does have a little bit of a tragic story, but there's a lot of empowerment that comes out of that. So there you go, Deborah. I'm gonna let you take wow, it. Wow, what an introduction, Melinda. <laughs> Thank you so much. You're welcome. And I hope that there's people listening live so they can ask questions in the chat box. Yes. I am an open book for the sake of healing. So if anybody has a question and then maybe they need somebody to talk to, they have something that they need to just share, this is the place to do it. I know when I was uh, growing up in Boston, Massachusetts area, I was the oldest of nine. And um, I took on a lot of responsibility that I should never have as a 12 year old when my father left us and my mother had to work. So that meant I had to be the mother. And as a result of my role, there was a lot of permeation of responsibilities. A lot of times I was my mother's mother and she was my child. My mother was my child. And I don't know if anybody has had that experience, but it really confuses a teenager when a teenager has to be a mom for siblings. And uh, this was before they had pampers. So I was changing cloth diapers in a bucket of water and the whole thing turned me off so much that between that and the comments that my mother said to me because she was verbally abusive was she would say things like I hope you have a child someday like you so you can find out what real misery is And all these awful things that she used to say to me, and I don't know why she had to be like that, but I've heard before I got thrown out of the family that uh, she learned her mistakes on me. And apparently her second batch of kids with my stepfather, her, her second husband, apparently were raised much better than the first batch. (laughs) Okay. But I honor my parents. I do not say anything harmful. I've forgiven. It's very important. If you had a crappy childhood, it's very, very important for your own sake to forgive them. And I've come to a place where I know my mother did the best she could. And I've uh, made amends with my parents. Um, Anyway, so the thing is, if I keep talking like this, 
I don't really know what you want to hear. I wish you'd uh, put some questions in the chat. But basically, um, my mother had this huge, and why am I talking about this? There's mixed, this controversy about in counseling, when you need help and you've got nobody to talk to that is of sound mind, that does not gossip, that is not trying to manipulate you themselves by your secrets, you got to make sure you're sharing your stuff with somebody trustworthy. Right. And um, when my when I was growing up, and after my dad left, my mother had a super duper crush on John Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, okay, you know, he didn't do anything for me, but <laughs> she loved him. And it's kind of funny, because I when she brought home her second husband. Um, I think I was 13. And he kind of reminded me of John Wayne, except he was a shorter version. So I could <laughs> see why she married him. Uh, and he was a good provider, but he was a flaming alcoholic. <sighs> and um, she didn't drink anything to speak of, but it became normal in our family for him to be drunk every day. I mean, mm -hmm. he held down a very good job as a carpenter, um, but he was always at night drunk. And mm -hmm. it seemed normal for us because that's the way we grew up. And maybe somebody listening is in an abusive family where you're called names and, and as a child, your parents or parent or guardian or whoever has convinced you that you're worthless. Um, and if you hear it enough times from those that you trust, as a child, you start to believe it. Right. And so it really chews away your self-esteem. And I think the only saving grace for me was that my mother used to drop us off at the front steps of the Catholic Church. Uh, after I think that was after I made my comfort. No, before I made my confirmation, because in the eighth grade, Catholics are uh, have they have a ceremony in the eighth grade, whether or not you want to commit to Catholicism or not. And I did not. I absolutely did not walked away from it. But anyway, uh, I'm, I'm talking around in a circle trying to make sense so I can help somebody. But basically, uh, my stepfather was a good provider, but the drunkenness, you know, people that are drunk all the time, they become afflicted with lust. Oh. And uh, my mother used to read these horrid, lusty novels, and I got my hands on them myself and started reading them as a teenager, which confused me even more because I'm like, wait a minute. Why are we reading these books and going to church? And mm -hmm. they were Harold Robbins novels. So if anybody's reading Harold Robbins, no, Harold Robbins, you really need to repent. I'm sorry you do. Your mind is in the wrong place. Mm -hmm. And uh, you're bringing up your kids the wrong way. Anyway, um, he, one night when I was sleeping on the front porch, uh, let's see, I was, I was 13. Mm -hmm. and uh, it was a beautiful summer night, and uh, he had screened in the front porch, so it was such a treat to be able to sleep outside because I just love nature. 
And uh, I don't know why. I just woke up in the middle of the night and I saw him standing at the threshold, drunk as a skunk, swaying in the in the doorway, looking at me. And I was alone in, on the porch. It was just me. My other sisters were upstairs sleeping. And he molested me. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, it seems like, I mean, I can remember the whole thing. But, you know, sometimes when you are uh, molested, you tend to, out of survival as a child, you decide, am I going to trust my parents or am I going to trust myself? And I decided to trust my parents because I made up my mind. I was going to keep it a secret from my mother because my mother always said, if it wasn't for your stepfather, you would now be in a foster home. She (sighs) drilled that into our heads. So I was afraid to say anything because I did not want to go to a foster home. Mm -hmm. And we can we can bury things inside of our physical bodies and totally forget they ever happened. Yeah. And I n- never thought anything else about it. Uh, it was as if it didn't happen in my mind. And I grew up as a very rebellious teenager. My mother couldn't understand why I was radical. And um, I didn't know why I was. Mm. Uh, I, you know, 17, uh, I mean, I was sweet 16, never been kissed. And at the time being, uh, not dating at 16, uh, there was this thing about being an old maid. I was afraid of being an old maid because which Matt meant back then in the sixties uh, that you were going to turn into an old bitty. And I was wondering why nobody loved me. I oh. mean, I used to imagine I'd be riding in the back seat of the car with me and my sisters and just imagining what I put on my tombstone as a teenager. She died never knowing love. Mm-hmm. I just thought that's that's perfect for me. She died never know that's that's going to be my tombstone. Cuz my mother had this obsession with a tombstone and it was black granite. I don't know if it was from Africa or whatever. I'm like she was so obsessed with this tombstone that seems like that's all she talked about so i started thinking about my own epitaph i'm like i wonder what i'm going to put on my just really bad unhealthy thinking Mm -hmm. very dysfunctional i mean you know just really a pity that my uh, you know my mother did the best she could she uh had to well i don't know if she had to but because okay i try to look at it from her side she had these kids my dad was a deadbeat. He didn't pay child support. She had to capture another man to marry him to take care of us. So what did she do? She got pregnant. Mm. And then she came to me in my bedroom, sat down in my bed. We didn't talk much at all. And she said, uh, I have to tell you something. And again, I can remember just like it was yesterday. And I looked at her. She said, uh, I have to get married. I'm pregnant. And I'm like, I'm, you know, I thought to myself, Block your ears if you are offended by the S-H-I-T word, but this is exactly what I thought. No shit, Ma. You know, I can hear you getting it on in the other room. Your bedroom's right across the hall. Mm -hmm. What do you think? I don't know what you're doing in there. So, again, this became the message I got was if you want to get a boyfriend, then you must have sex with him. Mm -hmm. That's what love is. Love is sex. That's what it is. I had it backwards. I didn't realize Nobody taught me that if he really loves you, 
he will wait until you're married. That's, that is God's design. And I tried to explain it to my students in high school <laughs> after I figured it out for myself. It's sort of like, you know, girls, it, when you have your wedding night and you think of your body as a gift wrapped in beautiful paper. And when you present yourself to your husband, if you've already had sex with somebody else or whatever, that wrapping has already been ripped open. You're giving him a used gift. I mean... How precious is that not? Right. I mean, there's it's sacred. Virginity is sacred. At least it used to be. Right. Not so much anymore. Not, not so, so much. much it's try, I mean, you know, you watch the TV shows now and right. everybody's Zooming somebody else. I'm like, okay, that's why I don't watch TV either. But anyway, yeah. I'm going on a roll. And if you have any questions or. I do. I actually, Kareth, she's watching along okay. with us. She's joined us. And she says, how is your relationship with your mom and stepfather now? Good question, Kareth. And uh, so when I was going through recovery, uh, because a counselor that I went to, Kareth, uh, told me, I didn't remember I was molested until I got into a car accident in uh, the 80s. So this happened like 20 years, 20 something years later, I, I remember all of a sudden I had whiplash. And I'm walking down the street with my earbuds in a nice day. And all of a sudden, this horrible fear came over me. And I felt exactly like I did when I was molested at 13. Mm -hmm. And I was horrified that I was remembering this. I'm like, did this really happen to me? Or like, so that drove me into counseling because I couldn't stuff it back in like I had successfully done. Mm -hmm. I went to a, at the time, Christian counselor, which is very important to get somebody you trust. And uh, she told me that um, I wasn't strong enough to handle it until the memory came to me at that time. You know, so if something comes to you much later in life and it keeps coming to you and you cannot suppress it, then it's time to deal with it. Stuffing it doesn't do anything for you. So... I started going to counseling. I went to counseling for two years. And at one point in the therapy, uh, the counselor told me that you're ready to do like an intervention. And that, that is sort of like where you sit down the whole family and right. tell them without any venom in your mouth, it's for the sake of healing. It's not for the sake of stirring up a bee's nest and throwing stones at them. That doesn't work anyway. Right. But just to seek, just to get the, uh, stepfather in this case to admit to what he did to re say he was sorry and I was already I'd already done the forgiveness in the counseling office so it was just a formality to present it to the family for the sake of regaining my purpose and function in the family because we were dysfunctional well I did what the counselor said and my mother um, at first sounded like why didn't you tell me and I'm like, uh, and I didn't have a chance to answer her because then she started like, it was like she ch went through all these different personalities with everything she said to me. It was like a different voice coming out of her mouth. I'm like, mm -hmm. why didn't you tell me? Genuine mom, ge genuine mother fear. Um, then she said um, something like, I I'm going to ask him. And I'm like, ma, <laughs> No, not just you. We need to have an intervention. Then she said, then she changed into this snarling voice.
that she always used when she was verbally abusing me, she said, I know what you're trying to do. You are trying to hurt me. I will never let you hurt me again. And I was thrown out of the family. So to answer your question, Kara, I was thrown out. I became the black sheep. I was trying to do a good thing for the sake of getting back with. So I don't know. You know, you really have to use wisdom if you're in a church or in a synagogue and you have a pastor or a rabbi that can be with you to go through it. But, uh, you know. You're taking a risk trying to do an intervention by yourself. I would not, I would not recommend it based on my results. And um, so mm-hmm. I, I had this burden in my heart and hurt, more hurt now because I've been rejected sure. for, because I was misunderstood. And uh, I wrote a song about it because I'm a musician. I needed to process this pain and I wrote the lyrics, but I was too afraid to publish it because I did not want to hurt my mother. I mean, I still loved her and uh, she was having heart problems. And I thought if I, if I publish this song, um, I don't see how it's going to do any good. It'll do me good. But at the the expense of my mother. uh, So I waited until they both died and then I released it. So that YouTube uh, URL that's scrolling at the bottom of the screen you can hear that it's the last song on a compilation CD that I published called eighties. Cause I used to be in a rock band in the eighties. <laughs> so I kind of snuck it in, in the CD on the very last song thinking, well, if you find it, you were meant to find it. <laughs> and the words I, I wrote them as a 13 year old laying on the bed being molested. Mm. Yeah. And, and processing the pain and the horror of that experience. And, you know, for a long time, blame myself. There are some men or women that molest, they're experts at predatorial skills, and they convince the child that it's all your fault, the kid's fault, like the kid. And Mm -hmm. I thought it must be my fault because, but later on I found out that he not only did that to me, but also the third sister, number three, I was going to ask you that. Okay. Yeah, I tried to tell her in, in trying to seek my own healing. And uh, I watched her face when I told her and uh, she was horrified. And as she was so horrified, she started thinking about how he used to take her to his job. And she could remember everything going to the, the place, but didn't remember certain things that were happening while he was working with her Mm. and she got really scared and she said don't I don't want to talk about this I don't don't say anything else about this I don't want to hear it and I'm like I know she's had so I think she's come to terms with it Uh, but I was accused of being a liar by my siblings they said they couldn't believe it it was shocking it's like how could this happen and, uh, you know, it, it happens more than we know. It's usually somebody that we know and trust in the family or friends of the family. And uh, if you are going through that, I mean, I just chose to suppress it because I didn't have anybody to talk to that would believe me. And I was too afraid of ending up in a foster home. So mm-hmm. I don't know what the answer is if somebody is listening if uh, what do you ha- what do you have for an answer, Melinda? 
You know, I had my own demons that I suppressed. So I really don't have an answer. I, I think that's for everybody. But, um, you know, my my daughter, my middle daughter, uh, she was brave enough to start telling. She would tell whoever she could. So I think that's, I think it's just a personal decision for yeah. each person. And I would hope, and I was so proud of her for telling. I really was. It was very brave and courageous of her. But I think you have to do that to protect yourself, whatever that situation yeah. is. You you kind of judge you're in that survival mode. So only you know how to better protect yourself. But yeah, you're right. Those um, those abusers, they do have a way of just making it seem that you are at fault, that, oh, this is going to happen to you. You think this is going to happen to me. I'm going to go to that foster home if, if I tell or something like that. And Kareth does have another, a couple comments. She says, it's hard to confront situations when your mom are, your mom has had a victim mentality. And uh, she said, also, do you experience, did your experience as a child make it hard for you to trust men as an adult? Wow. Good question. Yeah. And uh, that's a very, very uh, profound question. And the answer is, yes, I had a hard time trusting anybody. I was afraid of intimacy because, you know, when you uh, become close with somebody and you're in a love relationship, a healthy love relationship, it uh, requires a level of intimacy that um, make you, you have to make yourself vulnerable. And I was on guard. I mean, after that, I'm like, don't certain, like if I would touch certain parts of my body, I would become nauseous. Okay. So there's something called disassociation where apparently what I did to survive was removed myself from my body mm -hmm. and, so I didn't have to feel it, you know, and this is a very common thing that we, some women do. They I've heard I've talked to other women that say they actually would be up in the ceiling in the top of the room looking down at themselves being molested. This actually does. It's a survival technique. Um, but uh, it's almost like an out of body experience. Yes. I mean, exactly. I could physically feel myself getting out of my body. Yeah. Watching. It's like, oh, my God, that poor girl. Look at her, what she's going through. And I, yeah. know, I know what you mean. Yeah. 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 And so the reason why in the healing process of getting massages from people that you trust of the same sex, hopefully, but even today, <laughs> that's not always safe. <laughs> uh, and um, also uh, yoga restorative gentle yoga is a great way to get reconnect your your mind with your body and soul because a lot of us survivors are just detached from ourselves physically mm -hmm. or emotionally a lot of times what happens is when you're starting to regain a, a complete whole sense of yourself is you know i would get a massage and if if the therapist started to massage my belly i would cry mm -hmm. and i'm like what's wrong with me again? What's wrong with you? You know, right. um, I ha I was holding pain there. I was holding a lot of emotion. It's, you know, this is the seat, the belly button area. It's the, the seat of our emotions. There's a lot of strong undercurrents in the pelvic region, especially if you've been violated and you need to be able to allow yourself to heal. Yes. So when you're in a safe place on the yoga mat and you have a, a good teacher that has compassion and allows you to open up and take your time with your breath, you can regain your yourself at a 
molecular level of healing and it's very powerful. So I, if you, you know, recommend that you find a way to heal the courage. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. And also um, my counselor suggested that I also spend time in a safe place at home. This is after I had that flashback and the book that she recommended was, is called the courage to heal. And um, I think it's by last name is Bass. I'm not sure. I'm going to look that up right now. Yeah. The courage to heal. Courage so to heal. Yeah. I think her name, last name is Bass, two women writers, but um, she, I, I got the book. It was a workbook and she told me to take my time with the book. And whenever I came to a part where I started to feel like I did when I was 13, she told me to put the book down and breathe and remind myself that you're in a safe place. That was very important in the process of healing. Remind yourself you're not you're not there anymore. You're in a safe place. And uh, that was a very powerful workbook for me trying to do this healing alone. So if you don't have um, if you don't have somebody you can trust to help you, I would highly recommend this book. Did you find it, Melinda? I did. I found a Kindle. I don't know if it's the same one, but okay. it is by Ellen Bass and Laura yes, Davis. That's it. Yes. Okay. And there is, I mean, oh, there is, yeah, I see the workbook. I'm going yeah, to grab that too. I mean, I got the, the book because I like to write while I'm, it's like journaling while you're reading and you know, I, I can't, I don't have the ability to Kindle and, and uh, I just like writing in a book. So a much better process of healing yeah right yeah so the whole thing is when you're going through the healing process to make sure you're in a safe place quiet place where nobody's gonna come in on you and interrupt you in the process of a very un a vulnerable moment I do have that workbook. So any of her links that she's mentioning, I am putting them in the comment section. You can find those there. If you're listening a little bit later on the podcast, I will have those links in the description so you can find those as well. Yeah, but you're right. Spot on, you know, making sure that you're comfortable, that you have a place to, to, um, you know, to cry if you need to, to, to just to feel that safety. But, you know, you mentioned about having a normal relationship when you're in this type of relationship or had molestation or abusive relationship, especially sexually, it's so hard to know what normal is. I had to learn myself. What the heck is normal? What's a normal relationship? I didn't know what that looked like. Yes. And uh, that's, I'm glad you reminded me because I didn't really completely answer her question. My mother taught me and I, I please don't, I'm not trying to bash my mother, but you know, your parents are responsible for bringing you up and they are your role models. Right. So I'm just only telling you what I learned from my mother. Uh, by her promiscuity, I too became promiscuous because I believed that you get married if, you know, maybe you get pregnant or, you know, the guy decides that he likes you so much and don't marry a man that has to have sex with you before marriage because they won't be faithful after you're married. Hmm. If, if they're not willing to wait, then next, sorry, you know, really seriously. Hmm. And uh, I mean, unfortunately 
I didn't know that. And so I suffered a lot of pain and married Mr. Wrong. Um, and, and so the thing is learning to trust a man after you've gone through your own healing requires an intimacy that needs to be cultivated first with your creator. God, there is religion out there, but there's also relationship. And everybody has their own understanding of who God is. And I'm not preaching religion. I'm preaching spirituality. And if I may, Melinda, I'd like to share something that may also be of interest to the, the lady asking a question. Oh, sure. There is this book that I just finished reading recently called The Awakened Brain. Oh, I'll look for that one too. By Lisa Miller. And I'm just going to read uh, a section here about spirituality because it's important to have a trusting relationship with your Heavenly Father so that you recognize in yourself when you have that intimacy with the right man, it'll feel safe to you. Okay. But if you don't have that intimacy with the one that you're with either he you both have to be willing to practice spirituality together or you've got the wrong guy so that this will make more sense to you after i share this with you um 29 of your spirituality within every human being is by heredity now, this is written by a scientist. Lisa Miller is a scientist. This is not religion. So don't be turned off if you're an atheist. This is still anatomical information physically about the brain of every human being. 71% of your spirituality is by environment. Roughly two-thirds, a, fa a factor of how we're raised the company we keep, the things we do to build the muscle, we're calling it the brain. There's a certain part of everyone's brain that's reserved for spiritual soul life. And if we don't cultivate that part of the brain as an individual in an intimate relationship with our creator, then You'll look for everything and everybody to fill that void, which will never be filled right. Or you'll go into a depression. Now, this Lisa Miller goes into great depth about how a lack of intimacy with your creator causes depression in human beings. And if you cultivate intimacy with your creator, by reading this book to understand what I'm saying, you can be uh, removed from depression. So if you're listening and you're suffering from depression, this may be your answer. Okay. Now the other one third of the brain that I'm talking about, the first part is 29% heredity. Then there's 71% by your environment, the way you're raised. The other third is by genetic code. This is your spirituality. No clinical scientist had ever published findings on spirituality as an innate capacity, as a human attribute that could be
be heritable as well as socialized components. Now, I don't know if you, any of you that have gone to religion to find consolation may have heard somebody say to you, oh, that's just a crutch. Your religion is just a crutch. I heard that all the time growing up. They thought I was a fanatic. Even in the church, they didn't understand. Well, she's just had a radical experience with God. She'll just temper out and be like everybody else. I'm like, why would I want to be like anybody else? I've right. suffered my whole life. I want to be free. I yes. want to be free. And I am jubilant. I am um, I am like wowed by God that he loves me after all the screw-ups I did. How could anybody love me? How could God want me after all the mistakes I made? He kept calling me. <laughs> it makes me cry at his mercy, his mercy. And so I'm telling you that some people are more genetically inclined to play an instrument or do calculus, but ultimately the ability to be spiritual is our birthright as human mm -hmm. beings. And so we're, we're all responsible individually to awaken that void of that spirituality in our brain. It's a muscle. It has to be worked just like physical exercise, just like practicing an instrument. It takes knowledge. And so I highly recommend this book because your question about do I trust men? Not until I worked on my intimacy with God, period. That's so powerful. That yeah. really is. Un until then, I was trying to follow the movies, these stupid movies that mm -hmm. lead us down the wrong path. Oh, and we get ourselves all dolled up and fixed up and this lifted and that and lowered. The boobs and, are up, right. Oh, good Lord. And you got this chick that dresses like a prostitute right. trying to find Mr. Right. It's not going to happen. And then you wonder, she wonders, why can't I find Mr. Right when all they're doing is oogling my boobs or my tight skirt? And like, well, yeah, I don't want to say, hey, look what you're wearing. That's what you're going to attract. I don't want to be that way because I don't want to be that person. But right, sometimes... right. Hey, guilty. I mean, yeah. I learned that. I learned that from the media. If you yeah. just look hot enough yes. and douse yourself in perfume and have a few drinks. I mean, come on. Right. It, I mean, my mother, another one of her favorite sayings, she used to say to just make me feel worse. You know how guys are. She said, why buy the cow when the milk is free? Wow. I do have a question for you regarding mm -hmm. spirituality. Now, it seems that you've embraced that. And I'm all about that. I, I, I My faith was something that grounded me. And even in those moments of darkness, even as a child, I ran to many people get to the point where they're like, well, where's God when this was happening to me? Yes. Did you have those moments? I know I did. Um, I probably went through a period with that book, uh, Courage to Heal, where mm -hmm. I was angry at God for letting me suffer like that because I was a good little Catholic girl and you know, even though my mother didn't have nice things to say about me, I mean, I was faithful to God. And how could he let that happen to me? And I went through that. And you just have to come to terms with the fact that we live in a physical world that's not perfect. You know, we're, this, we're trying to get back to the Garden of Eden, but we were booted out because <laughs> uh, of temptation. 
And, you know, I don't know why, you know, there's something I've heard something in the Bible about their the sins of the parents fall back on the children to the third or fourth generation. That could be some of it, but it really requires soul searching and working your relationship with God so that you can come to a place where you just understand this is not a perfect world we live in. And if you are still here today, our very breath comes from God. So if you're still breathing tomorrow, thank you, Lord, that you woke me up for another day. I guess you're not yes, finished with me here. There is a better place, the Alam Haba. But, uh, you know, if you believe in Jesus, he said the kingdom of God is at hand. So we are here with spiritual gifts that we can use while we're on this planet and if we have suffered an atrocity and i think most of us have mm -hmm. um your reason for being here from the point of healing on is to be a voice for those that don't have a voice for themselves because of their situation right you don't hide all your life and throw stones and blame the blame game is very important it's it, it but it's garbage you need to come to a place with God and with trusted friends or soulmates or the book courage to heal and find your reason for living. You're not here by mistake. I don't care if your parents say you are a mistake. You, I mean, I've heard all the horrible things that I'm, I'm not. And you know, it takes like for one bad thing that you've heard about yourself. It takes 10 good things to cancel it out. And this is why and I'm sorry, I'm going to get on a pulpit right now, but I'm going to tell you, if you read the Bible like a history book, you're not going to get much out of it. And it's not going to do much for you unless God decides to intervene. You know, somehow he called me in the midst of my Catholicism and pulled me out of the Catholic Church. And uh, I'm in a much better place spiritually with him now. But the the word of God is... God, in the beginning, God said, and then there was. So the power of life and death is in the tongue. If you're reading the Bible, you need to be speaking it out loud because faith comes by hearing and hearing mm -hmm. by the word of God. If you're reading silently, it's not going to change your character at nearly as much as reading it to yourself out loud. And again, you got to be in a safe place because there'll be mockers that are saying, oh, what are you reading that? I mean, believe me, I one day, one year I when I was celebrating Christmas, I've converted to Judaism. But I remember buying uh, each of my siblings and my mother a Bible because I had gotten to a place in my own life where I wanted to be loved with by my family and accepted, even though I am quirky because I'm a musician, you know. <laughs> And I couldn't wait. I put all these Bibles in one big cardboard box for Christmas. And I I wrapped it up with, and I sat there and I waited for my mother and brothers and sisters. And they opened it up and pulled it out. And I remember my brother, I won't say his name, but he was the, he pulled one out and he looked at it and he knew what it was. And he said, what do you want me to do with this? Hmm. My heart sank. I'm like, oh, my God. You know, I, I guess there's a lot of people yeah. out there, especially Catholics, that um, 
put the Bible on the coffee table and they just make sure it's dusted. That's not going to do you any good. Right. <laughs> I mean, you have to hear. How will they know if they don't hear? You have to hear. What are the uh, the Jewish Shema Yisrael, Adonai Echad? Hear, Israel. Listen. What are you hearing? Are you are you, what are you listening to? Then of course you know. Whoa, whoa, that we can't have that because then I'm going to have to like be accountable for what I'm looking at and what I'm listening to. And that God doesn't expect us to live like that. That I mean, I don't want to live in a monastery. What? <laughs> I've heard it all. I'm like, yeah. nobody lives like that. What are you trying to talk about? As a matter of fact, I was, when I when I did try to go and visit my family, years later, before my mother and uh, stepfather passed, they said, you can come visit us, but don't talk about God. Wow. Well, I guess I won't bother coming then, will I? I'm sorry. Wow. How can you not talk about somebody that you love? Right. Well, thank you for that. Thank you. Because I know many, I know of many that have turned away spiritually. They've just, especially if it's been uh, maybe in the church, maybe they were molested by a preacher or, you know, a parent that um, was convincing them that it's part of the Bible. You know what I mean? There, there's some more things there. So thank you for sharing that. Thank you. You know, that's one of the reasons I left Christianity is because um, I had been lied to so many times by the church with doctrines of men. And, uh, you know, if you start to think about Jesus and he is a rabbi and he taught, he didn't teach the New Testament because there wasn't one when he was here. What do you think he taught? He taught the, the Torah, the five books of Moses. And he's certainly not going to cancel out the Torah because he came to fulfill the law. That's a bunch of bunk. And I, I don't mean to step on your toes or anybody that's listening, but sorry. I mean, I, I'm going to study the, the books like God wants us to study them. The Torah is not defunct. There's power in the word of God. You have to hear it audibly. You have to speak it, you have to study it, and you have to have a balanced life so that you're spending enough time in your prayer with God, your relationship, believe it or not. There was once upon a time when I was trying to learn how to pray when I stopped doing the Catholic liturgy as a teenager. And I'm like, I used to sit there and open up my Catholic Bible and go, um, who do I pray to today? Let me think now. Uh, God jesus or the holy spirit uh even here i'm like uh, flip a coin that's how i used to i mean i didn't know what i was doing i had no teaching i had no foundation i didn't know how could you not know jesus said when you pray pray like this our father he never said pray to jesus hello you have to get it right by reading it for yourself so there i have i better not say anymore (laughs) because will turn off the show she's like oh my god she's on a rant look out yeah that's why i don't get invited to anybody's house (laughs) just 
comes out. Well, yeah. you are welcome to mine anytime. Well, God bless you, girl. I would love to talk about this all well, the time. You, go. you know, hey, you know. Yes. So, I mean, I've, I've got this. Uh, I'm going to have some shows happening in 2022. Awesome. Uh, holy, I should have given you a, pay, a copy. Holy Hippie Hoop. Awesome. Holy, which will be Jewish meditation. Uh, hippie, which will be music from my past, secular music. Yes, I used to do rock and roll. Ooh. And hoop, we met each other through hula hooping. Yes. And all of the information will be available on my website, which is right here, aslifehappens.org. So check it out. Yes. Yes. Yes, please. And again, all of her links are in the comment section. So you just got to, so you don't have to type furiously. You can find those in the comment section. So you can just click on those and you'd be taken right to where she is. Oh, I've been so excited. I couldn't wait to have this talk today. And wow. Wow. I just want to give your inner child a big hug. I really do. And even you just, oh, I can't imagine as a mom saying those things. I, I can't I, either. You know, as a person doing these things to another person, or even what your stepfather, I can't, I don't get it. I don't understand. But one more quick question before yeah. I let you go. Did your mom come from an a abusive relationship uh, with her family? Is this something generational? Was there this? Very thing? interesting. Um, you know, because now you got to remember that I was born in 54. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, it was the leave it to beaver error. Yeah. Marcus Welby, Donna Reed, right. everything was perfect on TV, black and white, by the way, black yes, and white TV. And, you know, I tried to be a good little girl and cause I was the firstborn, and, you know, when my mother was having an affair with another man and I pointed out where she had met him cause I was in the backseat of the car and she told me just to sit there while she was having her fling. Ooh. Um, and then when I bring it up with the dad in the car, she'd turn around and say, shut up. You don't know what you're saying. And I'm like, she taught me how to lie to myself. So, um, you, you know, you go through that relationship and there was no intimacy with my mother, really. And I wanted to get closer to my mother because who doesn't? Right we all need to be loved by our parents. And so one day I, I think, I don't know. I was thinking about this today before I came on your show. I remember where I was. I must've been a teenager, maybe very young. And uh, I picked a bouquet of irises for my mother and I brought them to her. She was in the kitchen doing the dishes. So her back was toward me when I came into the kitchen and I'm like, here, Ma, I get some flowers for you. I just wanted to say I love you. We never said I love you to each other. We yeah. never. So this was my way of trying to get there intimately. And so she's at the sink, and it's just me and her in the kitchen. And she turns around and looks at my flowers, and she says, get those out of here. That's what I was laying in when I got molested. <gasps> Wow. I'm like, and after that, I went blank because I, I don't know what I was feeling after that. I don't know. I don't remember what I did with the flowers. I, I just blanked those things out. I just was, I had the ability when all that stuff happened that was bad to just kind of, I don't know where it went, but yeah. not even aware. Wow. So, I mean, I love irises. To, to I do love them now, but every once in a while, I think, you know, 
How sad that my mother couldn't explain things to me. She would just blurt out with these horrible things that I didn't even know what she was saying. I'm like, I wasn't old enough to understand what she was saying. I just knew by her face that it was horrible. So I learned how to read people's faces. And all the time, if somebody was scowling, I automatically, you just automatically think I'm doing something wrong again, you know? Right. So I don't know. I don't know. I imagine, you know, she, I mean, we know she had it. I don't know, you know, if, uh, who did it or cause we never talked about it. We Mm. never talked about anything really. We were just always in front of a TV with a bag of chips and a liter of Coke. And, you know, that's why food became our comfort, our escape, the boob tube and snacks. And then I have a weight problem for the rest of my life. (laughs) Thanks ma. (laughs) (laughs) okay (laughs) and a lot of us too a lot of us too yeah yeah, a lot of us too so anyway the hoop show will be uh thursdays at i think it's 1 p.m uh eastern times for people beginner hoopers and yoga class that uh just want to learn to reconnect with the body and mind their classes are free you just come on in you need a hula hoop and Melinda can tell you what kind of hoop to get. They need two hoops, so a waist hoop and a off-body hoop. Awesome. Oh, I'm excited. I can't wait for that. Yeah, very beginner. You know, I had two major illnesses this year. I ended up in the hospital twice. So I lost my momentum as far as learning how to do more tricks with B. I I just fell fell out of practice. So I'm like talking real beginner. (laughs) And that's me in October and November Something just came over me and I couldn't do it. So it's been like two months, two and a half months. Yep. Oh, boy, I have three over. that I have. Yeah, I have to start all over. And I just, I just went ahead and signed up for one of her courses. So I'm excited about oh, that. She's but a great teacher. She's awesome. Yeah, she's I love her. Amazing. She's amazing. <laughs> oh, well, again, her links, Deborah's links, you can find in the comment section. You can always friend her. She's amazing. Love Thank you. And you. we both share a birthday. So, yeah, oh, birthday birthday. Yes. <laughs> not the same year, but the same not the same day. year. <laughs> <laughs> well, it has been a pleasure having you on. Oh, my goodness. And I hope to do this again sometime in the yes. future. Thank yes. you. So thank you so much for being courageous and just sharing your story with me. And if anybody has any questions, put it in the comment section or again, reach out to her privately. That's fine too. And there's her links. Please give her a little bit of love and support and visit her, visit those links. Well, thanks again for tuning in everybody. I hope you have a great rest of your day and you can catch the podcast link a little bit later. Bye. Thank you. God bless you.